0: Well, hey, friends. Good to see you guys. Uh, my name is Austin Edwards. I'm the lead pastor at City Light Lincoln Church. Anyone here from City Light? There we go. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's always a joy when they're like, hey, can you teach a family bro- or, or, uh, a breakout? And it's like, absolutely, I'd love to. What's the topic? Family brokenness. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's a, you kind of feel a little bit insecure when that's the topic, you know, you're like, all right, clearly I got some stuff in my past, but uh, um, let me tell you why. Let me tell you why I think they, they had me, uh, they picked me to to share on this breakout. Um, so I'll tell you some of my story. This will be vulnerable too. I'm just being as honest as I can with you guys. Um, I'm 31 now. When I was like, uh, my parents had me when they were young, like 20 in Southern California, and uh, they got divorced um, when I was like two or three. My dad moved to Nebraska. My mom and I moved back to California, so I was raised with my mom. She had several different boyfriends. Um, She got married. They separated. They got back together. So we moved around quite a bit. I think I went to 11 different. I lived in 11 different towns before I turned 11, and um, so that was kind of some my some my story. My dad uh, was a bachelor, uh, kind of that whole time in Nebraska. So I'd go see him in, uh, in, uh, in Nebraska for Christmas or for summers and stuff like that. Just show of hands. How many people come from a divorced family? If you're, if you're, if your parents are divorced. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, uh, it's my tribe right there, you know? So anyways, um, so, uh, so, uh, so anyways, my dad, uh, and I want to say this about my mom and dad, and this is a unique thing because my, my, my mom and dad might listen to this, but, um. They have always done a phenomenal job of loving me. That might not be everyone's stories, but even though there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of mess, they really have always done a great job loving me. That might be your story, too, if you raise your hand. But my dad was a total bachelor. Uh, he always had, two things was always true when I went and visited him in the summers or in Christmas. He had a nice car, and he had a pretty girl. And that was pretty much it. And it really formed my view of manhood, of like, I need to have a pretty girl, and I need to have a nice vehicle. By the way, I do have a gorgeous wife, and I have a nice truck. Okay, so I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's happened, okay? Uh, But anyways, my wife's right over here. She's amazing. So uh, you can stand up really quick just so they know you. So yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's Kristen. Yeah, she's a legend. There you go. So... So, anyways, it really so it really shaped my view of manhood, and it's been great. We've got a great marriage. Been married for eight, almost nine years. Um, but it also really had terrible repercussions for me in, in high school and in college. Um, my view of what manhood was: nice car, pretty girl, and um. So, so that happened um, when I was uh, twelve. I actually got in trouble. I was in, I lived in Southern California. Broke into some schools. Didn't know how serious it was. Got convicted of a felony. So I don't. Know, I'm not know. gonna have people raise their hand. But if there are any other felons in the room? That's my tribe too. Okay. <laughs> Divorced felon, we're friends, okay. Uh, so, anyways, um, but I moved uh, from my mom to live with my dad in in McCook, Nebraska. He had just got married to my stepmom, Lori. They're still married till today. And um, and I had and I got my two my little brother and my little sister. So I'm 31. They're like 21 and 20 or whatever. So I'm about 10 years older. Well, um, when I moved to uh, Nebraska, my in that time my mom also got a divorce from my. Stepdad at the time. So she was no longer functioning daily like a mom because I was gone, and she was no longer functioning like a wife because they got divorced. Her life spiraled into addiction, and she, uh, the next year I went and visited her when I was 13 years old for the summer. We traveled around, saw family, and um, I was in a hotel, and I wake up to police officers. And um, they'd said my mom was arrested for the use and possession of um, illegal drugs. So that was 13 years old. My mom's arrested. I get, my pa- grandparents pick me up. I get flown back to Nebraska. And, I, you know, as a 13 year old kid, I don't know about your guys' story on drug and alcohol abuse with your parents, but at a certain age, you just don't really realize that something's going on. I had no cognitive ability to realize my mom is like, Inappropriately interacting with drugs, and so it was pretty severe. Um, I moved back to Nebraska, which is supposed to be the safe place, right? Mom's, mom's, you know, dealing with her addiction. I moved back to Nebraska. My dad and my stepmom um, just had a ton of conflict, and so they would be there would be really physical fights. Alcohol was involved to a point where consistently, my little brother and sister, Bailey and Caden, I would um, when a fight would break out, I would just go grab them. I bring them in my room and I would shut the door and I would turn our TV up literally as loud as it could go and I would just hold them. Um, be, and then, you know, police are showing up, things are breaking, walls are slamming, drywalls broken. Like that was our childhood, you know, when I'm like a junior in high school trying to protect my little brother. And my sister, and so, um, so that happened, and then I get into college. My mom, by God's grace, had gotten sober, married a guy, was doing great. And then my mom called me my senior year of college, right before I left on a mission trip to Africa, uh, like a longer term trip, and said that she'd relapsed, and she they're they're drinking again, and they're smoking again, they're doing what well else again, and it was like, what do I do? You know, I felt some type of responsibility. I don't If you're in the room and there's family brokenness, I assume there's some level in you that's like, I ha- if my family's broken or my parents like, you almost. Feel like you have some responsibility toward your parents. Like, I need to help them or what. I don't know. It's just like that. I felt that. I'm like, can I go? Can I leave? Like, I should be by her. And so anyways, that happened. I moved. My wife and I, um, moved to Omaha, work at City Light Omaha as a worship leader for the college ministry. And, um, my, when we got married in 2015, moved to Lincoln to plant, or 2016, moved to Lincoln to plant City Light. And, my wife and I had my daughter like up that later year and my mom moved to Lincoln. And by that, I understood that she was sober. And I was like, this is amazing. My mom's finally sober. Like she's back to what I remember her to be. And like a year or two into that, I get a call uh, one day from my mom's phone and it's a lady. And she answers, the, or I answer the phone. And I'm like, hey mom. And she's like, this isn't your mom. Uh, my name's Linda. I'm actually at the park and your mom really needs you. And my heart sunk. And so I drive to the park. And um, my mom had taken like taken a whole, basically a whole bottle of pills and drank a whole bottle of vodka, and um, like tried to end her life and I'd never seen her like that like up close as like an adult, you know, and she was just like somehow God saved her life, you know, but I just remember hugging her and holding her, and "I love you, mom, and I'm for you, and what's going on and but at the same time, we had uh, kids, and she was watching them every week, and so you're also dealing with the trust issue of like you've been with our kids and you've relapsed and we've trusted you and you get what I'm saying. There's just so much there, right? And um, and so uh, that happened. I thought that was rock bottom. Like mom, you're done drinking. Like it came out. I'm okay. I love you. I forgive you. It's okay. She kept secretly drinking. I get a call from the police a couple months later. She got a DUI. It was like devastating. And then um, I thought again rock bottom. She was sober uh, as far as I understood for the last few years. She's been sober. Which was like, praise God, I took her out to sushi on her one year sobriety. And she said, Mom, I'm so proud of you. I love you. About a year later was this last, a couple months ago. So this is fresh for me. And I sit down with her. My mom is just seemed off. And she confessed to me that she's never stopped drinking. So, like, on that sushi date, Mom, I love you. I'm so proud of you. One year sober. You're amazing. She lied to me, and she was still drinking. And there's a lot of other stuff, you know. So just, there's a lot, you know. And I don't know where this hits you and your story. You might go like, that's chump change. Like, you don't let me tell, let me get the mic and tell my story, you know. Maybe that seems severe compared to wherever you came to come to family brokenness. But I, I share all that because I want you to know that I'm not speaking about family brokenness from just an intellectual level. I'm not like, let's talk about the Bible and give you some, I'm like, this is like a real personal experience for me. And I'm not telling you things today that I think you should know. I'm telling you things today that I'm myself trying to personally believe. Does that make sense? Like, this is personal to me. It's not just to talk, like it's been my life. And and I think if you're here, it's probably personal to you too. Um, and so the the... Uh, The things we're talking about today have given me hope in the midst of all of the mess. And I don't know your story, but I'm assuming if you're here, there's brokenness in your family to some extent, siblings, parents, grandparents, cousins, whatever, yourself. Maybe it's divorce, like, you know, 80% of the room raised their hand. Maybe it's emotional abuse. Maybe it's spiritual abuse. Maybe it's physical abuse. Maybe there's sexual abuse. Um, Maybe it's drug or alcohol uh, abuse. In that, maybe it's criminal activity, prison time, someone in your family, maybe there's conflict or it's estranged, maybe you have never met your parents, maybe they're absent, uh, maybe there's financial struggle and brokenness, you've, you've been in poverty, you've been through some tragic times, maybe there's lying and hiding and deceit, whatever it is, but Whatever reason you're here, and I'm just telling you, this is not a talk on how to fix your family. So just just to get that out of the way, you're not going to take away three things on how to fix your family. Um, you can't control that, number one. And number two, I think there's a lot better goal for all of us to have in light of this. Um, so I want to show you four things today, four things. Uh, that the gospel has to say about family brokenness. Now, I know friends, Rob killed it today in the main session. It's like you're in the fire hydrant mode right now. Then you went to a breakout, then you went to lunch, then you went to another break and now you're here. And so I'm like, thank you for being here. And I'm trying, it just, I I hope this is effective for you guys. You take this last bit of information, then you get a break and you got to process all of it. But I'm going to give you four things, hopefully very clear, very tangible, that the gospel has to say about family brokenness. And let me tell you this. If you listen, If you understand these things we're talking about, if you believe them and live them, I promise you, it will shape the way that you see your story, it'll shape the way you see your family, it will shape the way you see your church, and it'll shape the way you see your future, okay? So if we listen, we're on the same page, we leave here taking this in, it'll change all of that. So four things, and I'll go through, you don't feel like you got to jot these all down right now, but I'm going to say four things. Number one, Jesus came from a broken family. Jesus provides a spiritual family, Jesus plants new family trees and Jesus saves in households. Okay, that's where we're gone. So, uh first Jesus came from broken family. Rob kind of talked about this morning. I thought it was amazing, but if you look in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, both lay out Jesus's family tree, okay? And they trace his lineage, and I just want to say this, objectively, it's messy. It's very messy. We see this broken family of Jesus that he came from in the first book of the Bible in Genesis. So just for instance, Genesis 3, Eve, like kind of the mother of all of us, you know, she uh, was tempted by Satan. Uh, ate the first, or ate the fruit, brought sin into the world. So there's brokenness there. she has got a couple kids, Cain and Abel. Uh, Cain ends up killing Abel. That's a little bit broken, okay? Usually that doesn't happen in families. Genesis chapter f- 9, Noah, you know, it's great. They survived the flood, it's supposed to be this great guy. He gets drunk. He's naked. That's weird too. Like, hopefully that's not part of all of our stories. Genesis 20, Abraham, he lies and he sends his wife away with other men because he's afraid. Again, not normal. Genesis 27, Jacob, and Esau, some brother, sibling, rivalry, he lies and tricks his dad into giving him the blessing. And he also takes his brother's birthright, Esau, away from him. Like, that's tragic. Genesis 30, Rachel and Leah, sisters, there's rivalry, there's comparison, there's envy, there's all this stuff. Then you get Genesis 37, and Judah and his brothers fake their little brother Joseph's death and sell him into slavery. Again, so broken, right? This is just the first book of the Bible. We haven't got to Leviticus, accident, like all the other stuff. And that, we haven't mentioned Rahab, the prostitute, or David, the adulterer and murderer, or Solomon, the sex addict. Like, like this is like, there's so much brokenness in Jesus' family tree. And yet, friends, despite all that dysfunction, guess who comes from it? Jesus. Jesus comes from that family. He arrives. The savior of the world, the unbroken one comes from the broken family. Isn't that beautiful? And why does that matter? I think two reasons for us. Number one is comfort. Okay, comfort. If you came from a, fa- a broken family, here's the good news: you're not alone. So did Jesus. So did Jesus. There's. There has to be comfort in that, right? Growing up, I had a friend. And if you came from a broken family, I'm assuming that most of you guys have this person in your mind. But I had that friend with like the picture perfect home and family, you know? Like they had family dinners together. There was no big drunken fights. They, their parents were together. They like played catch in the backyard. Like all the things. And I was like, oh, but he never knew how I felt. He couldn't relate. He didn't know my experience. He, he, he didn't know what it was like. But if your family is broken, Jesus knows how you feel. Just take that in for a second. Like he came from a broken family too, of all the families in the world that he could have entered into. The God of the universe says, that's the family I want to come from. What's the family? Broken, like messed up, right? Like Genesis all over the place, messy family. So number one, I think it provides comfort to know he comes from a broken family. Number two, it provides hope. It provides hope. If Jesus came out of a broken family, listen, friends. So can you. Does that make sense? So can you. There's a pervasive temptation for anyone who's come from a broken family to live in that brokenness too. Like, let me just acknowledge the fact that everyone that raised their hand about divorce, there's something in you that probably hates divorce because you've experienced it. And yet there's also something magnetic in, in, in us toward divorce because we've experienced it. You know, if there's drug and alcohol abuse in your family and your parents, you're like, I hate it. I hate how it affected me. But there's also some level of magnetism toward those things because you've seen it or anger and abuse. And I'm telling you, like the things that we've, after. this is our example, guys. This is all we grew up with of knowing and seeing, this is how a dad treats a wife. This is how a dad treats a son or a daughter. This is how a mom treats a This is how a friend, and, and this is our example, and it's so easy to start to just live in that. And I'm just telling you, Jesus fights the temptation, flips the script, and changes it. And he comes out of a broken family, unbroken. I'm telling you, that can be your story too. It gives us hope, right? So hear me say this. Your upbringing doesn't have to be your outcome. Your upbringing doesn't have to be Your outcome, the Messiah came out of a mess. The Messiah came out of a mess. And that can be your story too. So first thing, Jesus came from broken family. The second thing um, is uh, is that Jesus provides a spiritual family. Okay, second point I just want to say, again, these this will shape the way you see your church, your future, your story, your family. He provides a spiritual family. Remember that friend I grew up with that had the perfect family? And if you're just in your own envisioning who that friend was, you're like, I wish I had that. You know, I remember it as a kid envying that story like wanting it, wanting those parents, and uh, you may feel the same way. Maybe your dad was um, was distant, busy with work or travel or whatever, and you saw dads that were present. They showed up to your friends' games. They they said, "I love you" to them. They hug, and you and, you're, and you saw dads that did that, and you are like, "Man, I wish I wish that was my dad." Or maybe your mom was really critical of you um, and um, just unaffirming, just hard on you. And you saw other moms that were affirming and caring and gentle and kind, and you thought. I wish, and you saw that other mom, I wish that mom was mine. Or maybe your mom and dad weren't in the picture and you just saw other moms and dads. And you're like, I wish I just had literally a mom and dad that were present for me in this moment. I don't care if they're great. I just wish they were here. Or maybe your siblings, you don't have any siblings or your siblings are gone or whatever else. And you're like, Ah, oh, man, I just wish I had siblings. Here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus gives you something so much better than just a different family. In the gospel, Jesus gives you a new spiritual family. You've got to understand this. It's life-changing. Uh and this new spiritual family happens in two ways. Number one is adoption, and number two is togetherness. So adoption, okay? Uh a couple verses just to kind of wrap our head around this adoption. Galatians chapter four, verse five says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Uh first John three, verse two, beloved, we are God's children now. Uh, Romans 8:16 God the spirit bears witness that we are children of God. so Rob talked about this earlier and I love this point that the gospel has both vertical and horizontal uh, uh, implications, right vertical us and God were reconciled and he's saying horizontally we should be reconciled to one another. but in adoption, the gospel has both vertical spiritual uh, implications and horizontal uh, relational implications. you ready? So spiritually, vertically, what does adoption mean? Adoptions mean that God, Adopting you means you're his, you're his daughter. He loves you. He's crazy about you. You're you're his son. He, he's like that's mine. Like he, you're you're literally adopted into his family. Praise God! It's a miracle, right? That's the beauty of the gospels that you get a father that loves you and is crazy about you. But relationally, check this out, friends. Don't miss this. Adopting God adopting you means that if he's your father, guess what? You get new siblings you get new siblings. You catch You catch what I'm saying? Like the people in the room, I've got some brothers and I've got some sisters, and they're, uh, this huge family of God is from people of every tribe and every tongue and every nation around the world. You get a father, amen, awesome, and you also get tons of new siblings, right? Isn't that beautiful? And he, uh, we, we studied this this morning in Ephesians 2, verse 19, Paul refers to Christians as the household of God, the family of God. And so my friends Nate and Becca, my wife and I like best friends. They adopted a son named Isa, and uh, it's a beautiful story. And I was there in the courtroom the day they adopted Isa. It was amazing. Like what a picture of the gospel, right? Like literally, his story is so sad and so broken, and yet this amazing family is going, "I, I love you, I-, I-, I want you in my family." And so they adopt him. The judge goes, "Here's your new name. Here's your new family." Is awesome. Now Isa, that day, my little nephew didn't just get new parents. He got new siblings, right? Malachi and Zeke and Roman. Like in that courtroom, it wasn't just his parents that embraced him. and said, oh, welcome to the family. Guess who else embraced him? Roman and Zeke. It's beautiful. In that courtroom, it wasn't just his parents that adopted him. It was also his brothers. That's a fuller picture of our adoption. Does that make sense? So you can't, you don't have the ability to just talk about your adoption in light of, of, you have a new father in heaven. You also have new brothers and sisters that we get a loving father in a big spiritual family. And so that's adoption. The other one is togetherness in this idea. So this is how this new family plays out. So, uh, we're studying through the book of Acts at City Light and I just want to look five, five chapters. This is just the mention of together in every single chapter so far. Acts 1.14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together. Acts two forty four, all who believe were together and had all things common. Acts three eleven, all the people ran together to them in portico uh, Simon's portico. Acts four twenty four, they lifted their voices together to God. Acts five twelve, they were all together in Sol- Solomon's portico. Do you see the pattern? This word together pervasive in this new church that this new family that God is birthing in Acts. In Acts chapter two, they sell each other's homes to provide for each other and make sure you're okay, I've got your back. In Acts 2, they're breaking bread in each other's homes. They're having meals together. They're worshiping together. In Acts 4, there's persecution that comes and they rally together and pray. Doesn't this sound like the dream family, the family that all of us want that's described in Acts? Like this family, um, uh, they, they, they're together often. They're sacrificing for each other. They know each other. They're with each other when hard times come. Togetherness is the word that marks the new family of God. Your spiritual family. Now, um, when I was in college, I was involved in crew, came to crusade for Christ, loved it. God did amazing things through my life in crew. I'm so thankful. But all of my friends and I had never really gotten plugged into a church. Okay, does that make sense? Like, we, Crew was our church, if that makes sense. And there might be some people in here that are part of Salt Companies back home and Salt Companies is your church. And I'm just telling you, like, that's not a good idea. Okay, like we never had, we just had Crew. And so what I found out, I didn't know this problem, but after we graduated, a lot of my friends that I was leading Bible studies with, sharing the gospel with, like alongside, they started falling away from the Lord, not walking with Him anymore. And I was like, what's going on? But I had realized that none of us knew how to walk with Jesus in a multi-generational reality. All we knew was college Christianity, right? Which meant, I I, I just know how to be in fellowship with other Christians that are my same age, with my same struggles in my same life season, in my same culture. I only know what it's like to be a part of a church or part of hearing messages that just have to relate to 20-somethings, right? And so when you get in tr- I don't know what it's like to worship with older people or little babies crying. Like, that's weird, you know? And so all my friends started to fall, and we're like, what's going on? Friends, that's why I love pastoring a church and being a part of the Salt Network. Right. It's a family of multi-generational churches, not just reaching college students, but of every generation reaching college students. Amen. Like that's what we love. And I'm telling you, you have no idea how significant that is. I wish I had that when I was your age. And so um, there's a uh, there's a girl in our church named Chloe. I don't think she's in this breakout. She's probably in one. But um, but my uh, my my wife disciples her. She's in. She's a salt leader. My wife leads a D group, and Chloe's in it. Chloe serves in our kids ministry in the kindergarten or the first grade room, and my daughter Gracie is being discipled by Chloe. And there's a woman named Linda in our church that's helping disciple and lead my wife. Does that mean it's like this beautiful Linda, Kristen, Chloe, Gracie? Like that's you're talking a seventy year old, a thirty year old, a twenty year old, a seven year old. Like it's beautiful. I'm telling you, that's the kind of family, as I'm saying, this changed the way you see your church, like, wait, this is my family. These are the people that I can be a part of. When my wife and I were engaged, some of you guys are engaged, um, uh, we had premarital counseling with a couple named Jack and Linda, and it was like the first time I'd ever witnessed a gospel-centered marriage. It was, I was like, this is profound to me, and I had never got, but in my church, I got that experience with Jack and Linda to see what I didn't get to see growing up. And so you get this new family. Now, uh here's here's what you, you want to know what Jesus said about who his family was. This is cra- just like, hey Jesus, what do you think about your family? Uh this is in Matthew uh, chapter 11 or chapter 12 verses 46 through 50. This is what Jesus says about his family. While he was still speaking to the people, behold his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand, he, to- he points towards his disciples. And he said, here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and mother and sister. Dude, ha- Jesus has his literal mom and sister. Like, that had to cause a little bit of like, a, ah, Jesus. Come on, man. Do you want to give us a little respect? He's like, you're not my family actually because you're my family. This is my family because they're my spiritual family. And there's this saying, I'm sure some of you guys have heard it, that blood is thicker than water. Have you guys ever heard that? Um, and it's this idea that like, hey, your family comes first, like not your friends, like your fam- blood is thicker than water, which is awesome, right? For Christians, we don't share the same physical blood as other Christians. I don't have the same blood as any of you in the room. I do with my brother and my sister and my mom and my dad. Um, but how were we brought into the family of God? By Jesus's blood, by the thick sacrificial blood of Jesus. How much more meaningful is having Jesus' blood in common than having real DNA blood in common, right? The other Christians share the same belief and the same blood that was spilt on the same hill. Like, blood is thicker than water and Jesus' blood is more meaningful than familiar blood, right? And so let me just tell you, this is important. Maybe you had a dad, um, maybe you, maybe you had a dad that was absent and, and, and hurtful and, and, and just, just, like all of it, just not good. And, Part of the reality of the gospel is that you get us you get the you get the father of the universe that says you're mine. You're you're my daughter now. You're my son, now I'm crazy about you. Like, take that gospel reality in, that he's like, he's for you, he's with you. This is crazy. You get a father that loves you, that will never leave you, that will never disappoint you, that will never forsake you, that will never disappoint, that will always keep his promises, like it's always present, like the father in heaven, right? And yet, don't miss this, part of the reality of the gospel, the beauty of it, gets even better, is that you also get some spiritual fathers within his church. Like, the Troy Nesbitt, who started the Salt Network, has been a spiritual father to me. Tom Remple, Bob Walls, elders in our church, have been spiritual fathers to me and I'm telling you man yes part of the gospel you get the father in heaven it's amazing sometimes it's just ethereal sometimes it's like I know he's my father I haven't seen him but when you get around guys older men that really love you and are for you and are investing in you you're like man you kind of feel this sense of like you're kind of like my my spiritual dad if that's okay to say you know they're like come on in, you know it's beautiful women there and men too some of us have really broken moms that are just hard stories where they were critical of us and hard on us and and the reality of the gospel is that you also get spiritual mothers in the church, older women to care for you and lead you and love you. And 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 there's a woman named Tish that's been that for my wife and just called her out in her beauty and, and the way that God's a designer. has been awesome to see, right? And guys, by the way, 20 years from now, guess who's going to be the spiritual moms and dads of churches? You. Like, you get to be that, too. And so that's what I'm saying. The beauty of a multi generational church is that we get to experience those things for each other. Maybe you're an only child. Maybe you don't have any siblings. And in the family of God, you get brothers and sisters to be together with. Does that make sense? It's beautiful. So Jesus came from a broken family. There's hope and comfort. Jesus provides a new spiritual family through adoption and this idea of togetherness, being with the local church, moving with our family. Third thing, uh, we've only got two more things. These are a little more brief, is that Jesus plants uh, new family trees, By the way, this is probably like one of my my favorite pieces of this whole thing. He plants new family trees. Now, um, my dad uh, didn't grow up following Jesus, uh, didn't grow up in a gospel home. My grandpa didn't grow up in a a Bible-believing, gospel-centered home. My great-grandpa didn't grow up in a gospel-centered, Jesus-believing family. As far as I know, my my great-grandpa's dad didn't grow up. So just track me for a second. For many generations, the Edwards men haven't followed Jesus. The Edwards family tree has been marked by love for the world and a refusal to crown Jesus as King and Lord, right? And at 19 years old, 12 years ago, Jesus saves me uh, at a fall retreat in Nebraska. And he breaks into my rebellious family tree that I'm from, and he rescues me. 2015, I get married to my wife, Kristen. And then years later, my wife and I have three kids, Gracie, Haddon, and Eden, right? They're adorable. I wish I could, a, I wish I could show you pictures, okay? But I, I just really quick want all of you to think about my son, Haddon, for a second. It makes me emotional to even think about it. He's four years old. He's the cutest little thing in the world. And for the first time, oh, what a gift of grace. For the first time, in at least several generations. And Edward's boy, Haddon, is being raised to know and love and follow Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It's awesome. Yeah, praise God. It's amazing. You know how many years since that's been true of an Edward's man? At least 100, maybe 200. I I can't even go that far. I don't even know. And so listen, when Jesus saved me at 19 years old, what did he do? He planted a new family tree. The Edwards family tree is marked by an affection towards God, not a rebellion against him. Devotion towards him, not disobedience, marked by the gospel, not by a religion. And here's a phenomenal verse to cling your life to in Second Timothy. 1 verse 5, Paul talks about a spiritual family tree that started, and it led all the way to Timothy, the guy that he's writing to, a great church planner. And he says this in Second Timothy 1.5. He says, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that, fir- that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. So catch this, a spiritual family tree in which the gospel has been passed down from Lois to Eunice down to our boy, Tim, right? And so if you've come from a a, a broken family, like a dead spiritual family tree, when Jesus saved you, listen to me, friends, when Jesus saved you, he planted a new family tree. Does that make sense? This is really significant. When Jesus saved you, he planted a brand new family tree, and it's not by, marked by the brokenness of your past. It's marked by the beauty of your redeemed future. Okay, It's a redeemed family tree. I want you to think about his grandma Lois. Okay, uh, Paul doesn't go any further back than Lois, And he says this phrase that it dwelt, this sincere faith dwelt first in Lois. So catch this, she was the first seed in this new spiritual family tree. The gospel penetrates Lois. She passes it down to Eunice and Eunice passes it down to her son, Timothy. And then Timothy goes and goes and goes and goes. And so, oh, I'm just pleading this is true. What if, friends, what if you were the Lois of your family? What if you were the first seed? of the gospel, to create this new family tree marked by beauty and obedience to the king of the universe? What if generations of devoted Jesus followers came from you? Doesn't matter what came before. What if it came from? What if you're the lowest of your family? That's what he wants to do, plant a new family tree. He wants to write a new story and have a fresh beginning. The last thing that we'll end on is not only did Jesus come from a broken family, not only does he give you a new spiritual family, not only does he plant a new family tree in you, but maybe my favorite is that Jesus saves in households. Okay. This is where the story gets a little bit better for, for mine. Ten years ago, I was uh, preaching in South Africa on a mission trip and I shared part of my story of following Jesus. And I just shared that my, my family didn't know him yet. My parents weren't following Jesus. And after my sermon, a woman came up to me and I was, and she's like, Hey, I feel like God, Told me to tell you something. I'm like, okay, I haven't had experience a lot of this. But she opens up her Bible to Acts chapter 16 and she says, I feel like God wanted me to tell you from the Bible that God saves in households. Okay. And we went to Acts 16 and she looked at the story of Lydia. And Lydia is this fine purple linen dealer. And Lydia gets saved. And then it says, after she in verse 15, after uh, she was baptized, her whole household as well. And, and she just went, do you see that? Lydia gets saved. And guess what happens? Her whole house gets saved. Wow, that's amazing. No, no, it doesn't get done there. Now look at the Philippian jailer. He, watch this. He gets saved. And then it says at the end of Acts 16 that... Um, that his whole uh, family gets baptized as well, the whole household. It's amazing. And you're like, oh my gosh. And I took that word away that happened 10 years ago in my heart and said, God, would Act 16 be true of my family? Would you save my whole household, right? Would you do it? You're, I know you can. You did it. By the way, Act 16 isn't a promise. I want to say this, but it is an example of what God wants to do and likes to do, OK? And so a year later, after she spoke this to me, my dad gets uh, in a motorcycle accident and breaks his leg like tr- like bone popping out of the skin breaks is like really bad. Uh, he's been really successful in business and all that. And he's been driven and busy. And for the first time, he had to sit with his fragility of life of like, I'm, I, can be, I can be broken and my life could end. And for the first time, all those countless gospel conversations that we had, he just got to live with and sit with and think about. And he called me one day, one of the best days of my life, and said, I'm in. What do you mean, Dad? I'm all in on Jesus. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Praise God. Like, really, dad? Yeah. Yeah. I'm all in. And I'm telling you, my dad moved to Lincoln. He's a part of our church. He's crazy generous financially. He's sharing the gospel with his coworkers. He's sharing the gospel with his neighbors. He's discipling people. It's like, it's like, what? I got to baptize my dad. Again, one of the best days ever. Then he baptized my stepmom. And then the same day I got to baptize my little sister, Bailey. And then my brother, Caden, just texted us yesterday and said, I want to get baptized this year crazy. Like, like, that's my whole family. All right, it's awesome. Um, and then my mom, you guys know the story of my mom, in the midst of all the addiction and all the pain, finally stood on the waterfall of Jesus's grace, washing away all her sin and all her shame. And she tells everyone she knows about Jesus. My grandma gave her life to Jesus at my wedding, and my dad has prayed for my grandpa. get. I mean, it's just, like, wild, you know? And I'm telling you, this isn't a promise. This is an example. It's a story of this is what Jesus loves to do. And I have to tell you that Act 16 happened in my family. It's amazing. But to be clear, uh, my family's still messy. Okay, like there's still, like coming to know Jesus, just make sure we're all on the same page, doesn't mean, oh, we're not broken anymore. We're not messy. Like, oh no, we're loved and we're healing, but we're still a little bit broken and there's still some stuff going on. And so following Jesus doesn't magically erase the mess. But we're all, a lot of us are following Jesus and it's, it's been phenomenal to watch. And I just want to say this. This is the part I really want to hone in on. Jesus saving my family didn't happen overnight. My brother, 10, this is 12 years after I got saved. My brother just said, and we're trying to sort through like, okay, do you want to get baptized because we got baptized or do you really understand the gospel? But this is 12 years later, guys. You might not celebrate some of these stories until you're in your thirties. You might not celebrate them until you're in your sixties, but I'm telling you, it's worth it. It happened after years and years and years of gospel conversations with my parents. They weren't judgy. They weren't shoving them down their throat. They were just, they were just, I, I'm being captivated by the Father, and I need to tell you about Jesus. He's amazing. And here's the thing, guys. I'm so convinced, this isn't, this, this kind of evangelistic. I'm so convinced that a majority, everyone who's, who isn't following Jesus, the reason they're not following is because they have a wrong view of who He is. Does that make sense? Like, if you really knew who He was, I think you would say yes, right? And and it's like for your family, God's going to use you. They might be, you might be the only opportunity that your family gets to kind of hear the gospel. And he wants to save in households. And so just those moments where you're like, how can I talk about Jesus? You know, I'm not weird or awkward or whatever. I'm just going to talk about him because he's part of my life. And I want you to know who he is. It also happened after years and years of them seeing Jesus change me, by the way, Like, they saw that there was real change. Am I broken? Absolutely. Did they see my sin? Absolutely. But they're like, okay, this guy is really devoted. And when you guys go home for Christmas break, whatever, and your parents see you, and if they don't know Jesus, they're going to be like, whoa, I don't know if this is a cult or something weird, but like, you're changed, you know? And you're like, and it's all about this guy, Jesus. He wants to do the same thing in your story. I'm telling you, they got to see that. And so it happened after years and years. So my gospel conversation, my example of my life, and it happened after years and years and years of begging God to save them. I mean, I've been on my knees for years and years and years. My brother, Caden, still, I'm like, my grandpa, Like I'm not 100% sure. And I'm telling you, like, beg the Father. Like, ask him. I know he wants to save. It's like, God, you want to do this, right? Yeah, keep asking him. And so I just want to say, in light of God saving households, be patient. Like, trust the Father. He wants to do something great. So listen to me. Not only can you be the lowest of your family, and I think a lot of you will be, be the first seed in the new family tree that God plants. But you can also be the lydia or the jailer of your family and seeing the rest of them saved by the gospel. Amen. Wouldn't that be amazing to see that happen in your guys' lives? I just know we can do it. And so the gospel has something to say about your broken family. Like that's that's like he doesn't stay silent. And all these things culminate into this beautiful reality that God wants you to know that he came from broken family. Jesus could have come from any family. He chooses this broken family to come into. And two, Jesus gives you a new spiritual family, friends. Not only did the father adopt you as his own daughter and son, but he also adopted you into a beautiful family of brothers and sisters, giving you spiritual mothers and fathers in the local church and a multi-generational family to be a part of, to be together with, to mourn with, to cry with, to grow with, to be a part of. Jesus also, when he saved you, planted a new family tree. Like, hey, this is not going to be marked by the brokenness of the past, but by the beauty of the future. He wants to see something amazing. He wants you to be the new Lois or the Eunice or the Timothy Of your family, the first seed that gets to spark this great movement of Jesus followers, Jesus followers, be awesome. And then Jesus saves in households. Like he wants you to know. Like I want to saturate your whole family with the gospel. I didn't just save you for you, I saved you for her, for him. And I want to do something magical and amazing and miraculous in your family. So that's what I got for you guys. I love you guys. I'd love to just end by praying. Uh, I know there's some stuff. This is a little bit early. I think we got a few minutes. So I think it'd be good. You guys have been taking it enough. I don't think we'll use up the rest. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll get out of here. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Father, thanks for choosing us. Oh, it breaks my heart. Um. If you just imagine the brokenness represented in this room, um, maybe some do have good families and they're just wanting to learn and deal with something different, but I'm sure there's a lot of brokenness in the room. And my heart mourns that that you didn't design, that wasn't your natural design to have these broken families, and yet we've lived under them, and men and women in this room have suffered under abusive dads or absent dads or hurtful moms or manipulative moms or hurtful siblings or abusive uncles or grandparents or whatever it is. And I got to be so, so sad and heartbroken over that reality. This, this talk doesn't make that feel better. This talk doesn't erase the pain we've endured. It doesn't erase the suffering. It doesn't magic erase anything. Um, and yet I also just want to say I'm, I'm grateful and I'm joyful that you have something to say about our stories that you can relate to us, Jesus. You came from a broken family. You've given us a new spiritual family, that you've made us new spiritual family trees, and that you want to save our family. God, so I just pray that you would do it. I pray for for comfort in the room here, to know that we're not alone. Um, even together, to be in a room like this and to know that this room has some problems with our families. It's like, this is our tribe. Like, thank God we have other people. I'm not the only one. And uh, But also just hope to say, God, you've written new stories and amazing stories, and... Just praise God for, for the Haddens, you know, the second generation of followers of Jesus that are just going to start this new amazing. I pray that you'd give us that, God, that we would be, that in this room represented would be new redeemed mom, moms and dads, 10, 15, 20 years from now, or whenever you want it to do. That in this room represent moms who say, I'm not going to be like my mom. And I'm going to be a mom that's committed to the gospel and that is holistically just following Jesus and caring and nurturing her. Dad, men in the room, they're saying, "I'm going to be. I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm going to be like my father in heaven, and I'm going to be a present dad and a, and a caring dad and a gentle dad. And that we would just be that you would redeem it, God, and that we'd raise our families to know you and love you and care for you and." And that God has prayed this room would just have this evangelistic zeal and this hope to say some of the hardest people in the world to share the gospel with are our family members. And yet I pray, God, that we would just beg you to save them. Like right now, all the family members represented that don't know you, just to pray and intercede for all of them. Would your kingdom come as it is? Um, in heaven. Just like in, in our families, God, would your kingdom come? So would you do a great work and would we get to see it? So give us patience, God, as we endure this. Give us hope for our future. Change the way we see our story. Change the way we see our families. Change the way we see our church. Change the way we see our future. And give us the gospel hope in the midst of a really messy situation. So we love you. We're grateful in your name. Amen. Love you guys. Have a good break.